to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4 is where we have been for some weeks. You know, we've actually actually been in the, the Gospel of Mark for several months, and uh, there's so much here, and there's a great deal that's right here in the early part of this particular chapter. We are looking, really focusing in on Jesus' life and ministry and teaching and miracles and His power and His love here in the Gospel of Mark. We know from, we looked at this the last two weeks, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, a large inland lake. He is, he is a, a, a crowd of people, a multitude it says, have gathered and so, so that they can hear Him better. He gets into a boat, goes out a little ways from shore, people crowd along the beach, water, uh, sound carries very well over water, and Jesus begins to teach a parable. A parable, again, is a great story with an even greater principle. It is Jesus explaining a kingdom truth in a very understandable way. Jesus is speaking to this crowd, and he begins to tell the story. In verses 3 and 4, he describes a soil, and he said this, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Verses 5 and 6, Jesus described the second soil condition. Some fell, he said, on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And now look at verse 7. This is the third soil condition. Jesus said, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. May the Lord bless His Word to us today. The last couple of weeks as we've been looking at this, I've had some soil out here, and, and I'm going to do the same again today. Each time, it's slightly different. Soil. Again, in this story, the greater story, not just this portion of it, not just verse 7, but in the entire story, this, this parable that we call the parable of the sower, the sower represents God, the, the seed represents His Word, and the soil represents people or people's response to His Word. That's the, that's the, the basics of this parable. The, the first soil condition that we looked at a couple of weeks ago in verses 2 and 3, or rather verses 3 and 4, it was, a, it was a hard-packed path. That was the soil condition. It was so hard that the seed, though it was scattered, was never really planted. It just kind of laid there. It did not penetrate the earth. It, wasn't, it literally was not planted. Just It laid there, and within a very short time, birds came and ate it, snatched it away. It represented hard and resistant hearts, and, and because of our resistance that the enemy comes along and steals away whatever potential there was. With the second soil condition we looked at last week, the seed was planted, it, it grew. I mean, that, that's good, right? It penetrated the soil, it, it grew, 
but not for too long because there were rocks. If you were here last week, there were rocks in this soil just below the surface, and, and the, the rocks stop the development of the roots. You, you, you need not only a plant, but you need the root system. Both are essential, and so when in that scenario, that second soil condition that Jesus described, though the plant grew, the roots were not deep enough, and when the environment turned harsh, it, the plant, the young plant withered and died. Jesus said, Jesus said that it represented persons who initially receive him, but then when trouble or persecution come their way, they, they are scorched and they wither and they, they die. And, and, and the end result is no fruit. Just as with the first one that was landed on the hard, resistant earth, that too had no fruit. This one, the second one rather, also had no fruit and nothing of eternal value. Now the third soil condition, in verse 7, you see it here, this third soil condition, the seed was planted. The seed was, was planted and, and, and it penetrated the ground and, and, and something happened that, that seeds do and all of the in the embryonic part of it, and it, it begins to grow, sends up a little shoot, sends down some roots. But it, it didn't develop fruit. And, and Jesus said this particular plant or soil condition did not, did not result in, in fruit because weeds competed with the plants. All of the energy, all of its energy was, was spent not on fruit producing, but just survival. It was a stressed plant. Those of you who are, who are farmers, you know this so much more than I do, the, the importance of, of not putting that under too much stress. Some is certainly good in, in some regards. It makes it the roots grow deeper, but, but, but it was competing with the weeds. Jesus later explained what this soil represented. Look at verses 18 and 19 in Mark 4. Jesus said, still others, this is, this is where he describes it or explains it. He said, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, or some people hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word and it makes it unfruitful. Look at that again or read it again. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. So here in this soil, with this soil that Jesus is speaking of here, he's referring to people who believe in him. He's referring to people who accept him, receive him, become rooted in him, and grow in him. If you can see this, I know it's small and some of you are some distance away, but it's a, it's a small plant that looks healthy. It should. It's plastic. It, it, there it is, and it's, it's, it's a nice plant, and it's, it's growing, and it, for all intents and purposes, it, it looks good. But then, again, now we're talking about people, not just plants, Jesus is talking about people who stop short of producing and reproducing. Jesus says that other things come into their lives and their energy, 
the energy that they have, the energy that they need is spent on those things rather than doing and becoming what God intended. This is the story. Jesus, for their benefit and for ours, and you see it on the on the verse before you, Jesus, for their benefit and for ours, lists three different things. The first thing that he, the first thing that he talks about, some weeds here. The first thing that he talks about, the worries of this life. kind of sprouts up and grows. The worries, the worries of this life. Um, I want you to see that word, and and by the way, you see it underlined here. If you underline in your Bibles, this is a good thing to underline, or maybe even just make some notes on the margin of your Bible. But the worries of this life, I want you to see that word worries. Don't underestimate, never underestimate the power of worry. It's a dangerous weed. Worry is a damaging thorn. Worry, or sometimes we don't use the word worry because, uh, well, we just we know worry is bad, and so we so we sometimes use other words in its place. But it's really all the same thing. We we will sometimes use another word, essentially meaning the same thing, like fear or stress or anxiety or concern. And we use those words, but really when it comes down to it, it is worry, it is, it is fear. And worries have a way of capturing our attention and draining our physical and our mental and our spiritual resources. Some of you really know what I'm talking about. Something comes along and it so consumes us that we not only feel it in our mind and in our body, but in our spirit as well. Listen, Worry is a powerful weed. It's a powerful weed. Um, I want you to brace your, yourselves for a moment. This, this might hurt a little bit. You know, I, I, I give blood every couple of months, and when they put that thing on your arm and they swab you up and clean it up and everything, and, and then, and then, and then the, the person who's doing it says, now this is going to hurt just a little bit. That's where you just kind of hold on. And Sometimes I just almost feel like, just don't even tell me, just stick it in there. Brace yourself. This might hurt a little bit, all right? But please understand what I'm saying is, is, is not to focus in on any person, but it is so that we can call worry what it is and so that we can fight it where sometimes it crops up. It's a powerful weed. Let me tell you something. If you feed too much on news or news-related items, you will be weakened by worry. I'm telling you, you will be. Because most news is bad news. I have found that you can get pretty much all of the day's news in about 15 minutes, but if you watch an hour, two hours, three hours of news or news-related items, it will begin to consume you because it's almost all bad news. If it's not Bad news, it doesn't make the news. And we can watch so much of that. There are a lot of things that I could point on, but I'm I'm going to point on this one because I think in our world there is more worry, there is more fear because we are 
too focused on things that have to do with news, and there's a lot happening that we need to be aware of, but it can sap our spirits. About four or five years ago, uh, I was, I was, it was prior to an election, and I was watching a tremendous amount of news, just seeing it, and, and it was wearing on me, and it was concerning me, and and, 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 and I said, and, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you're, you're, you're spending too much time looking at the bad news rather than the one who gives the good news. And, and I found something happened in me that there was less anxiety as I focused in on the one who gives freedom rather than the bondage that this world represents. News. Okay, now, some of you are going, well, that didn't hurt too bad. Well, just hold on. Let me say this. If you spend more than just a little time on social media, you will be weakened by worry. Now, now you're meddling, Pastor. Now you're, now, you're, now you're really messing with me. But it's true. If you spend, a lot of social media is just people sharing bad news. And not all of it is real. Not all of it is truthful. And there's things that we go, and, and I'll tell you what, you spend too much time on that and you start talking back and forth, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this what it is. I think a lot of social media is just gossip. There it is. It's just a lot of us just gossip, but we, we, we cover it with something else and we're shooting stuff back and forth to people. Listen, we need to be careful with that. We spend too much time on it, it will sap your spirit. It will distract you and it will cause worry. If you're, there's a correlation oftentimes with the amount of time that we spend what we watch and listen to, receive, exchange. There's no shortage of people who will post and forward items about the horrible things that are happening or soon will. I, I, I remember reading something and something passed on to me and I thought, really? Boy, i got to follow that. I'm gonna, and I followed and I investigated it some more. And, and man, I'm just getting anxiety and I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to build a concrete bunker in our house and, and, and all this stuff and, and get a whole bunch of food and, and, and sell everything I have and buy piles of silver and everything else. And, and then I found out there's really nothing to it. And I'll tell you what, it's anxiety. Some of you are going, oh man, I sent that to you, pastor. No. I'm simply saying that if we focus on that too much, it will create worry. And that that weed will do a damage on on the, the more important part of us. One more. And there again, there are others. If you spend much time with people who worry, you will be weakened by worry. You want to start being a worrier? Hang around a person who worries. And, and it'll affect you. And you'll start going, really? And you'll start talking. And, and now, now, See, worry existed long before uh, 24-hour news cycles. It existed long before social media. It existed long before that worrier that you know. But I'll tell you what, these are just a few things that can cause such anxiety, let's call it what it is, fear within us, that we tend to focus more on our fears than on the one who dispels fears. And when you focus on the challenges and the problems of life, Jesus called them the worries of life, rather than focusing on the life giver, you will be consumed with worry. Um, a 2015 
two years ago. A 2000, in 2015, a leading university researched the 10 biggest fears of Americans. Here they are, in the order of greatest to least. And of course, if they make the list, it's still significant. Here's from the greatest to least of those that made the top 10. Number one, corruption of government officials, followed by cyber terrorism, followed by corporate uh, tracking of information. The fourth greatest fear was terrorist attacks, followed by government tracking of personal information, followed by biological warfare, identity theft, economic collapse, running out of money in the future, and credit card fraud. Those were the top 10 fears that people said they had in 2015. Now, some of you are thinking, well, pastor, you should be concerned about some of those things. Well, here's the thing. In 2016, just one year later, the same university asked the same question and five, and five fears from the previous list didn't even make the list, but they were replaced by five more fears that didn't make the year before. The point being is that there's always going to be something, a worry of life that can drag us down, concern us, cause us to focus on it rather than on him, and it will sap your spirit if you do so. Listen, the worries of this life can distract you from the God-called purpose that he has given you, and it can drain you emotionally and spiritually. It can steal your peace. Here's the thing. Worry, the wor however it comes to you, in whatever it's manifest, the worries of life, a person who is consumed by worry for whatever reason, that person, here's the sad part, looking at the story, the sad part is that person's not going to produce fruit. They may still look healthy, they may still be growing, it, but, and, 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 and again, it may all be there, but you will not see fruit in that person's life. Jesus said, the worries of life will steal your fruit. A longtime friend of mine was going through a very stressful, worrisome time in his life. It was almost overwhelming. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. It, 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 it bound him up in his stomach so much and in his mind. He, he said that in the midst of one of those spiritual attacks, he, uh, it was just before he went to bed and he shot up a prayer. Again, this had been going on for days. It was a spiritual attack. He recognized it for what, what it was, and he shot up this prayer, this desperate prayer to the Lord. He said, Jesus, I've worried about this all day. I would like to sleep. It's your turn to worry. Good night. That's, you know, that's, he didn't even do it in King James English. You know, you can just pray a prayer like that. Here it is again. Jesus, I've worried about this all day. I'd like to sleep. It's your turn to worry. Good night. He said this, The Lord instantly answered my prayer. I fell into a deep sleep, and the healing from anxiety has remained to this day. Why? Because he called it what it is. He said, I've been worrying about this, and I give it to you. Glory to God. Here's, here's, here's the even better part. That same God can heal you from worry. However it came about, whatever it came about, whatever caused it, 
whatever has fed it, whatever has, whatever has nourished that plant and that weed rather and taken away from the plant, our God can heal you and we're going to give you an opportunity for that today. Jesus also warned against the deceitfulness of wealth. See that line? He, he warned against the deceitfulness of, uh, of wealth. Here's, here's another, another weed in our uh, terrarium here. Jesus told them and us, remember he's talking to a bunch of people on the seashore. He's in the boat. But he's telling them and he's telling us that wealth or the pursuit of it is deceitful. That's interesting, isn't it? Did you ever think that, that, that wealth or the pursuit of wealth tells lies? You don't often think of that, you know, that an idea is really kind of wrapped up in a lie. You ever think about the lies that, that wealth tell? Uh, here's one, wealth will make me happy. You know, that's partially true, but like a lot of lies, there's a partial truth and then most of it is error. Do you know what? Wealth will make you happy. I promise you that if I were to come up with you with a stack of cash, $10,000, and I give it to you, I, I tell you there's not a person here in this place that would not be happy. You would be, come on, how many of you know it? I'm, you'd be happy. But you know what? It wouldn't last. The happiness is not going to last. It'll last about as long as until, until the IRS said, I heard you got $10,000. Or it'll last until you pay the bill and and, 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 and then you have nothing left. It'll last until it's invested, it'll, it, but it'll last a very short time. M- money, or rather wealth, promises us that it'll make us happy, but it's, it's an empty promise. It can't keep us happy. It tells the, tells the lie that wealth will make you healthy. Interesting thing, and, and it can certainly buy certain things. It can buy health care. It, it can buy some procedures, certainly. But here's an interesting thing. Um, wealthy people usually die at about the same age as non-wealthy people. Did you ever notice that? You know what the difference is? The wealthy people die in a nicer bed. That's about the only difference. But it's a lie. Was it just a few years ago, Steve Jobs, I mean, there's a man who was wealthy, I mean, the guy owned Apple, I mean, leading shares in it. He was incredibly wealthy, but he died at age 50-something. It, it, it couldn't, wealth tells the lie, that, but, but wealthy people die, all of them. Wealth will relieve me from stress. It'll relieve you from some stresses, but it'll give you other stresses. Wealth will give me freedom, and yet I see people who are wealthy who are also in tremendous bondage to so many things. Wealth tells lies, or the pursuit of wealth tells lies. Now, am I, am I saying that if you're, if you're wealthy, you're a liar? No, I'm simply saying that, that we can buy into the deceitfulness of wealth and that what it promises, we believe that it will, it will give, but it won't. It can't. Wealth is a relative term. I have read that if you have clothes to wear, a secure place to sleep, clean water, and food in a refrigerator, just those four things, clothes to wear, secure place to sleep, clean water, food in a refrigerator, then you are wealthier than 75% of the entire world's population. How many are feeling wealthy right now? On top of that, if you have those four things, and on top of that, you have at least some money in the bank, even if it's just a few dollars, some money in your wallet, and just a little bit of spare change, then you are now in the wealthiest 10% of the world's population. 
If you have all of that, and you also have simply a high mileage, worn out old car, whatever brand it might be, then you're incredibly wealthy in comparison to most of the world. And yet, a person who has all of that, clean water, clothes on their back, food to eat, a little bit of money, and a beater car, yet people will still buy into the lie, I'm poor. You see how wealth can be so deceptive? I have known people, <coughs> I have known people who make more than, uh, who make six figures every year. More than $100,000 every year. I have known people who have made millions of dollars in their lifetime, but they look at someone else and they go, well, I'm not wealthy. That person's wealthy. And wealth can be so deceptive. And I've also known some people who's, who say, who don't buy the lie, and they go, it really doesn't matter what I have. My wealth is in Jesus Christ and in the opportunities that he gives me. But wealth, the pursuit of wealth as our world defines it, can be so deceptive. But Jesus, the truth, remember he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life can dispel lies. The truth dispels lies. And Jesus, the truth, can dispel the lie and set you free from that, that, that thing that just can de demand so much. There are so many people that have been consumed by that. Jesus, the third thing that he, he uh, listed or, or spoke of that day is uh, he warned about the desires for other things. Man, things getting weedy. He spoke about the desires for other things. A few years ago, um, five years ago, Time Magazine ran a fascinating article that I, I think helps us understand this. Um, the article pointed out how low or medium income persons, track, track with me on this, how low or medium income persons who lived in high income neighborhoods had a much higher suicide rate. They kept noticing this and they were wondering, how is it, why is it that persons who are low or middle income persons who live in, that's the caveat, who live in high income neighborhoods, why do they have a considerably higher rate of suicide? The article indicated that it wasn't a matter of people not having enough to live. They had enough to buy the clothes, you know, buy the, buy the, uh, the, the, the beater car, the had enough to eat and a safe place to sleep and clean drinking water. But when those lower or middle income persons compared their income and their stuff to the income and the stuff of their neighbors, the persons who live next to them or just down the road, those persons with the lower income were more inclined to depression, sometimes resulting in suicide. We sometimes call this keeping up with the Joneses. And you look at what you have, the things that you have, and you compare them with the things that other people have, and you come up lacking, and they start saying, oh, that is terrible. And so they oftentimes will work extra job to, to get that income so that they are on par with their neighbors. It appears those persons' desires for other things became a driving force in their life. 
It wasn't necessarily a pursuit of wealth, but what wealth can buy or what money can buy, even if you're not wealthy, it is things, the pursuit of things. Here's the thing, Time Magazine, no surprise, um, mentioned nothing about their walk with Jesus Christ. But you see, Jesus understood this long before some writer at Time Magazine understood it. And he warns us here, Jesus here, sitting in the boat, speaking, maybe standing in the boat, speaking to the people, he's, he's warning them, he's warning them about this terribly invasive weed called the desire for other things. In many years of ministry, most of it as a lead pastor, I have to tell you, I have not known one person, not even one person, who abandoned their faith in Christ for Islam, for Buddhism, Hinduism, Satanism, or any other ism. Uh, Excuse me or any of the other major religions, isms. Not one. No, I'm not saying that that has not happened. I'm simply saying that in the thousands of people that I have known who had faith in Christ over the last 30-some years, I've not even known one person who ever abandoned true faith in Jesus Christ for any of those other religions, false religions. And yet I have known hundreds of people who gave into this invasive weed called materialism and every one of us are susceptible every one of us in their pursuit of something or things because it can become such a driving force I need that thing I need to complete that thing I need this thing In doing so, they neglect their cultivation of their spiritual life. The the fruit-producing, the eternal fruit-producing part gets sapped away and, and the weeds draw the energy that they so desperately need to do what God called them to do, but in their pursuit of that thing, it draws their attention away. They neglect their spiritual the cultivation of their spiritual life. They they shelve their Bibles. They avoid prayer. They minimize and eventually even eliminate their connection with other believers. I'd like to say I've never seen it, but folks, I've seen it too many times. I have seen people who start getting a better income And they can afford more things and they spend time pursuing those things more than they used to pursue Jesus Christ. And every one of us, the enemy can try and put those weeds into our lives. Things become objects of desire. Things consume our time. Things can consume our attention and any potential of eternal fruit. And Jesus warns us as often happens, um, and I'm, I'm working on these sermons two and three weeks out, and as often happens, the week prior, the couple weeks prior to a message, I have to not only study it, but live it. And uh, on Tuesday of this last week, I got a couple of phone calls 
totally different, different things. And, and, and both of them, boy, that night it was a struggle. I was pretty busy with a bunch of things. And late that night I laid my head down and the worries of life were just like, ugh. Call it what it is. It was a worry of life. And it consumed me, and, 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 I, and I, had to, I had to give it over to the Lord. On, on Wednesday night, I, I, there, was, there was a thing that had captured my attention. This wasn't a bad thing. Ask me later, and I'll tell you what. It, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was a thing, and it captured my attention. And, and, and for much of Thursday, I was kind of thinking about that thing, and then it hit me. I, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about the worries of this world and some of the things God said, that's what you're preaching on on Sunday. What's, what's your deal, Wildman? I can give it to the Lord. There's a bothersome quote I came across some years ago. I, w- I want you to see it. It's from the 4th century A.D., 1600 years ago. An early church leader named John Chrysostom said this about believers in his day. He, he wrote this, We admire... Wealthy, excuse me, we admire wealth equally with non-Christians and even more. We have the same horror of death, the same dread of poverty, the same impatience of disease. We are equally fond of glory and of rule. How can, how then can they believe? This early church leader, a godly, godly man, essentially said this, our lives as Christians, if you know anything about church history, you know that by the fourth century there were some compromises going on in the greater church. And he was essentially saying this, he looked around at the believers of his day and he said, you know what, we're just really much like the world. There's not a marked difference. We admire wealth as much as the non-Christian. We sometimes even more. We have, we fear death, the same horror of death. We, we, don't, we don't view death any differently than the person down the street. We have the same dread of poverty, same impatience with disease. We're just as fond of glory and of power as others and then he, and then that that powerful that how can how then can they believe in other words what do we have to offer if we're the same as them and so so with 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 a heart hear the heart of your pastor and, and the heart of a 21st century follower of Jesus Christ And even beyond that, looking back to the first century when Jesus sat in a boat and spoke to people on shore and he said, watch out for the weeds. Because there's a danger in the weeds making us look exactly like the greater culture around us. And if the greater culture around us looks at us and says, they're just obsessed about wealth and power And if they're just as consumed about the worries as we are, then what do they have to offer me? 
We are called to be different. Jesus was calling them to be different. Jesus is telling us here that we must not let things crowd out what he wants to do in us. He's telling us here that the pursuit of wealth must not crowd out what he wants to do in us. He's telling us here that the worries of this life, and they can come in many different ways, many different guises, but it must not crowd out what he wants to do in our lives. That eternal fruit, that eternal fruit, that, that, that what this can do is more important than any that this can offer. God help us. Here's the great thing. We serve a Savior who can set us free from the weeds that distract us and weaken us and limit us and distract us. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. Listen to me. Jesus can not only identify those invasive weeds, Jesus is an amazing weed puller. He can pull them out by their roots if we ask Him. Do you know what you need to do first? You need to say, God, there's some weeds in my life. There's some weeds in my life. I maybe didn't know it until this morning, but your Holy Spirit's convicting me, and it's hurting just a little bit. Before I stepped to this pulpit, I had to confess. It wasn't bad things. It wasn't some hidden sin. It's just a worry of this world. I had to confess it to Jesus and say, Lord, I am not going to be distracted by this because I have a greater purpose in my life, and that's not going to wear me down. And I had to say, Lord, I'm not going to obsess about that thing. Whether I get that thing or uh, don't, it, it's immaterial. But what you do in me is eternal. So I've lived it. Are there some weeds? Are there some weeds? There's some weeds that have kind of just crept in. You don't see it. Everything looks good. You're, by all appearances, it's by all appearances, you're healthy, and but there's no fruit. Perhaps because there's some weeds. In these closing moments, I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll go ahead and step forward. I, I want us to enter into a very important time in our, uh, in our service, and that is a time of prayer. And um, in just a few moments, we are going to, uh, we're going to turn this place, this area particularly, into a prayer room. And... Um, some of you, in fact, I'm going to say many of you, uh, like me, you, the Holy Spirit identifies it and you go, ouch, that hurts. But you, you Holy Spirit, don't, don't reveal or expose things in our life to shame us or to embarrass us or to humiliate us. He exposes those things in us so that we might confess them and so that He can pull out the weeds. So this morning, I'd like you to stand, please, across this sanctuary. If you can, I'd like you to stand. And uh, we're going to go into a time of prayer. I'm going to lead in prayer here in a moment, and, uh, and then we're going to open up these altars. If this morning, even in a small way, <clears throat> by the way, by the way, um, weeds, 
never start big. They, they start really small. So small you can hardly see them. But weeds have a way of growing fast. You ever notice that? Oak trees take a long time, but weeds can grow up overnight. In a span of just a very short time, they can just consume. Um, so whether it's a, a big weed that's been there for a long time or just a, a small weed that's just starting out, don't wait until it gets here. Deal with it when it's here. Did you do that? So we're going to open up these altars. Get that out of there. We're going we're gonna to open up these altars. And uh, we're going to sing this song, Holy Spirit, that we sang earlier. We're going to have it on the screen. And uh, I would like you to do this. It's time of praise. So we had that earlier. Well, there's no rule that says we can't do it twice. So we're going to have a time of praise. And as we begin to sing this, I want you to step forward. I want you to gather around these altars. There may be some people that come and pray with you. Perhaps not. But... In, in stepping forward, um, there is a powerful thing that happens. There's a confession. And in moving, um, God begins to do something. So this is, this is going to be a place in which God does some uprooting. And, uh, and I'd like you to come. And I want you to look around. It doesn't matter. You know, don't care about anyone else. Just focus. It's you and Jesus right now. It's you and Jesus and a, and a weed picking altar. And so... Uh, do this. Lord Jesus, I ask in these moments ahead as we begin to praise you again. Lord, I, I know that there are a lot of things that are going to be happening with a lot of people throughout this day, but no, nothing is more important than some invasive weeds being plucked out right now. But Lord, I pray that as people come forward and confess it to you, and as they identi identify that there are some weeds that you, the great weed puller, uh, the greatest weed puller would do some pulling of some weeds right now in Jesus' name. I ask that as they do that, God, you would do some work in their life. Thank you, Lord. Deliver us from the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. God, help us. Deliver us from these things and others so that fruit will come pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you come. Let's sing together when you're done praying. Consider yourselves dismissed, but let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Let's